Great. Paul, thank you very much uh, for uh, reading for us. And uh, may I pray for us as we come to look at uh, those words of Jesus. Uh, Lord Jesus, this morning uh, we pray that uh, your word would be our rule, your spirit our teacher, and your glory our supreme concern. For your sake we pray. Amen. Uh, Well, I don't know who it was, but somebody once observed that there are uh, two things, only two things in life, uh, that we can all expect to experience. Uh, They are, of course, death and taxes. I don't know who said it, and I don't really know if it's true. But if it is, then all of you should be listening very hard, because at the heart of this passage are indeed death and taxes. But it's not just about death and taxes, of course, is it? It's more than that. It is another example of the opposition that Jesus faced from the authorities. We've seen that all the way through Mark's Gospel so far, if you've been with us over the last few months. And it's also another demonstration of Jesus' astonishing wisdom and authority as the Son of God. Uh, What do we have? Uh, We have two questions put to Jesus by two, or really, I suppose, three, actually, different groups of Jews, uh, seeking to trap him and expose him. Uh, The first question concerns who we are to obey. The second question concerns who we are to trust. Who are we to obey? Who are we to trust? Well, let's see how Jesus uh, answers them, shall we? The first question, who are we to obey? God or Caesar? Who are we to obey? Well, some of you may be old enough to remember that one of the defining moments of Mrs. Thatcher's uh, time as Prime Minister was the poll tax. And it's another poll tax that forms the background, actually, to the story that we have uh, here. Uh, Palestine, of course, at this time was under uh, Roman rule, and the Romans had instigated a poll tax. Uh, It was sort of roughly equivalent to a day's wages, and everybody who was over the age of 12 years had to pay it. It was a, a, you know, a fairly sharp imposition. In, in it, was, it was costly, but more than that, it was a constant reminder of the fact that the Jews were under the Romans. And that's the background to, to this first question. These two Jewish groups come to ask Jesus about this very, very live issue. It's a bit like Jesus being asked perhaps on the question of the refer- EU referendum, I suppose. It was a very uh, political hot potato, uh, we might uh, say. Uh, The first group are the Pharisees, uh, we're told, verse 13. Uh, The Pharisees were strict Jews who hated the Romans. And uh, and the second group were the Herodians. Uh, The Herodians were more sort of liberal uh, Jews. They they were those who were quite happy to compromise on anything if that meant that they could carry favour with the Romans. Uh, They were two very, very different groups. You would never have expected them working together. Isn't it so often in life that uh, politics throws up some strange bedfellows? It's just as true here. Uh, They were very different in aims, and yet they were united in their hatred of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that so true? And to Jesus, they pose this very, very difficult uh, question uh, to catch him out, Mark says. Uh, Verse 14, they came to him and they said, "'Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity.'" You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Laying on the flattery uh, with a trowel. What's the question? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? 
Seems a very deceptively simple question, doesn't it? Pretty straightforward. But it's a very, very, very clever question. If Jesus answers yes, then they can accuse him of betraying the Jews. They can accuse him of siding with the pagan Romans against God. It's almost a form of blasphemy in some way. But if he answers no, then they can accuse him of encouraging rebellion against Rome. They can have him arrested. His ministry uh, will come to an end. How would you answer? Well, I think Jesus' answer is further proof, if we need any this morning, that Jesus is no ordinary man. Surely only the Son of God could give an answer as wise as this, as he did to such a difficult question. Uh, He takes uh, a coin, verse 16, and he uses it as a a visual illustration for them. Uh, The coin that he chooses is a denarius. It's a a Roman coin, eh? a small uh, Roman coin. It was a, 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 on it, it would have a portrait of the emperor, a bit like we have on our coins. We have a portrait of the queen, and we have some words, a sort of inscription around. That's just the same uh, with the denarius. It would have a picture of the emperor Caesar on it, and uh, some kind of inscription about how wonderful uh, he was. It's a small but very kind of tangible, very real reminder of the power of the emperor. Many, many miles away in Rome, but still the emperor, still the, uh, the, the ruler over this kind of backwater of his empire. Very well, says Jesus, taking the coin. (coughs) Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. (coughs) Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Quite cryptic words, perhaps. What, What does Jesus mean? Well, let's look at the very first part of that answer, shall we? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. I think Jesus is very clear that in the first part of his answer, there is a duty on his followers to pay their taxes, to obey the law of the land, and to honour those who are in authority. Jesus isn't inciting rebellion against Rome. Uh, He could have done. There were plenty of other people who uh, would have loved him to. But he's not. Uh, Paul reminds us, doesn't he, in Romans 13, and we're going to be looking at that, this, uh, uh, that passage in the evening service tonight, uh, that the authorities that exist have been established by God. Jesus affirms that. He, he's not inciting rebellion in any sense uh, at all. Uh, we might not like those who rule us. We might say, oh, well, I didn't vote for them. We might not like the decisions that they make, but we're bound to obey. We can't evade our basic responsibilities as citizens, says Jesus. And yet, whilst we have a duty to the state, Jesus is also clear that we have an even greater duty that we owe. It is a duty to God. Uh, If the coins bear an image of the emperor, if they belong to him, then how much more do we bear the image of the God who created us? Yes, it's marred. Sometimes you can't see it very clearly but it's there all the same. Uh, We belong to him. We were created for God's pleasure and for his glory. We were created to be under his loving rule. Give to God what is God's. We owe him our duty and our joy. Many of us will be familiar with people uh, who have a sort of dual, a dual citizenship. So maybe they're citizens of the US and citizens of the UK or, or something like that. They're, they're basically citizens of, of two countries. Uh, and the Bible says that, that if we're Christians, then in a sense we have dual citizenship as well. 
We are, of course, ordinary citizens of the country in which we live. We are subject to the laws of the land. We're subject uh, to those who are put in authority over us. But actually, the Bible tells us that even more than that, uh, we are citizens of heaven, if we're Christians. We are under the rule of King Jesus. He's God's anointed king. He's appointed to rule over us, and we are bound in obedience to his commands. Inevitably, there will be times when there's a tension between those two citizenships. That's true for people who hold uh, dual citizenship in, in, our, in our, our land. They have to make decisions about things sometimes. But insofar as we're able, we're called to honour both. And there's a question for us here, isn't there? Do we submit to that? Do we recognise that dual citizenship? Do we submit to the rulers that God has appointed over us in every area? Do we obey the uh, speeding, uh, speeding restrictions? Uh, do we pay our taxes fairly? Do we contribute to the life of the society in which we're found, we, we've been put? But even more than that, there's a question, isn't there, about whether King Jesus is ruler of our hearts. Is he the king of our hearts? The first question Jesus uh, answers and asks us is, who do we obey? The second question uh, that we have here is who to trust? Do we trust the scriptures or do we trust sceptics? Who to trust, scriptures or sceptics? Uh, the second question that Jesus answers uh, in this passage is put to him by another different uh, Jewish group. Uh, they are the Sadducees. Uh, in contrast to the strict Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees were, I suppose, the theological liberals of their day. Uh, they were very wealthy normally. They occupied great positions of power and influence. And again, a bit like the Herodians, they were very happy to collaborate with Rome if they thought that it would uh, in somehow do them some good. Uh, where they were theological liberals as such is this. They rejected the authority of the Scriptures, apart from the first five books of the Bible, the, 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 the Torah, as the Jews would call it. Uh, they rejected the authority of the Scriptures... And actually, as Mark records was here, there was something else. Uh, they rejected uh, the resurrection. Uh, they said there was no resurrection life uh, after death. Uh, and their question to Jesus is, is slightly different to those of the Pharisees and the Herodians. Uh, their question comes in the form of this story which we have read. And again, this story needs a little bit of explaining. Uh, under the law of Moses, if uh, a man di- died uh, um, childless, then his brother was to marry the widow to ensure that she was cared for and protected. There was no social services, no welfare state. Uh, That was the best way that uh, we could make sure that the vulnerable uh, could be protected. And you can read about it in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25. Uh, And the Sadducees kind of take this this background and they they imagine this unlikely scenario uh, in in which um, uh, a woman manages to be married to seven brothers, one after the other. I don't, think it was, uh, yeah, I, I don't think it was real. I think they were just trying to think of the most ridiculous thing they could, they could do in order to expose Jesus, and actually as well, critically, to expose the, the, this, this, the, the belief in, in life after death. They thought that if they came up with this crazy uh, scenario and they asked Jesus whose wife she would be in the life to come, then they just exposed the whole thing as nonsense. Jesus isn't swayed, though, is he, by their silly story. His answer really gets right to the heart of the problem, doesn't it? Can you see it in verse 24? Jesus replied, Are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power 
of God. You do not know the scriptures or the power of God. That's the problem, isn't it, here? The Sadducees don't trust what God has said in his word. Uh, More than that, they don't trust in God's sovereign power to do exactly as he likes to, uh, to conquer death. If they'd read the scriptures with faith and understanding, then they would have understood that God had always promised life beyond the grave for those who love him. Uh, the Old Testament writings, true, don't say as much about it as the New Testament. But it's there all the same. The Bible speaks with a consistent story from start to finish. Uh, it's not that it changed its tune halfway through. They could have seen it, Jesus says, if only they'd read it with the eye of faith, the eye of belief. But they didn't. Well, how does Jesus uh, prove his point? Well, he proves his point by turning to um, Exodus chapter 3, which, of course, you'll notice was uh, part of the Bible that the Sadducees uh, would have uh, accepted and, uh, and believed. And it's the story of Moses encountering God in the burning bush. Uh, verse 26, Jesus says, Now about the dead rising, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Of course, by the time of Moses, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had long departed uh, this life. And yet, as Jesus continues, God explains, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Uh, These men were faithful believers. And even though when uh, God was speaking to Moses, they were no longer there on the earth, uh, Jesus says they, they are and they will always be alive with God. The scriptures point to a life beyond the grave for those who love him. They just never saw it. They knew this story, they'd read it countless times, and yet they did not believe what it said. Jesus says the scriptures always assure us that God is always faithful to his promise. Death is not the end for those who love him. St. Paul wrote famously uh, many, many uh, uh, years later, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God as in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And that is what the scriptures say from start to finish. We do not need to fear death. He is the God of the living, not of the dead. Well, it said that the comedian Groucho Marx was once asked about how he uh, planned to approach dead, death. And he said, I intend to live forever or die trying. <laughs> None of us can avoid death. We might try and make jokes about it. We might try and ignore it. We might try and delay it by having Botox and all kinds of uh, other things or cyrogenics. Uh, but we can't avoid it. Uh, many of us hope that death isn't the end. But we secretly fear that it might be. This is what the historian H.G. Wells said, and I think in a very candid moment, actually. If there is no afterlife, then life is just a sick joke braying across the centuries. A sick joke. Is that all that life is? Is that all that we're here for at the end of the day? Jesus' words assure us that that's not the case at all. If we trust in him, then death should hold no fear for us at all. God is a God of the living. And because of the victory that Jesus won for us on the empty cross, we can be sure of the promise of the scriptures from uh, the first and to the last. 
we can be sure of the power of God, the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we can know life with him now and forever. The great evangelist D.L. Moody was once preaching, and uh, in the middle of his sermon he said this, Someday you will read in the newspapers that D.L. Moody is dead. Don't you believe it? I shall be more alive than I have ever been. He wasn't being cocky. He was expressing the resurrection hope of every Christian believer through the centuries and every Old Testament believer in the promises of God from the very start. That is our life if we are friends of Jesus. Some of us this morning will be feeling the reality of death only too, too well, I think. Uh, I know there are people here who are mourning the loss of those close to them. Uh, maybe for some of us the years are beginning to catch up with us. Uh, we, we're reminded that every day that we are frail creatures who are going to return to the dust from which we were created. There's a hymn, isn't there, that I, we always end up singing at funerals, Abide with me, swift to its close, ebbs out life's little day. That's our experience, isn't it? It's not wrong to mourn those that we have loved. We know that Jesus wept when he was faced with bereavement. It's not wrong at all. Uh, He knew the sorrow of death, and he still knows that. But even so, we can still take hope. We can still trust in the words of Scripture and in the power of God, rather than the skeptics of Jesus' day or of our day. To all who love him, Jesus says, God promises the life like the angels in heaven. A life with him in his new creation, his new heavens and his new earth. A life free from sorrow, from sickness and from pain. No hospitals, no hearses, no hankies. And through the mighty resurrection power of Jesus, his son, God has made it possible. He's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. We can trust his word, we can trust in his son and we can enjoy life with him in the resurrection well I said in the, at the beginning that there would be something for everyone and I think that's uh, been true Jesus shows us doesn't he someone to obey God our heavenly father who made us for himself who called us to honour him and to worship him and adore him to obey him and the rulers that he's established but he shows us as well something to trust the scriptures the written word of God, which assure us of life eternal for all who will believe in our risen Lord Jesus. Something to obey, someone to obey, something to trust. Let's pray, shall we? Well, Jesus, these questions that you had to face at first seem quite remote from us. And yet, as we've been seeing, they address very real issues. Who are we to obey? And who do we put our trust in? And we thank you so much that you are sovereign. We thank you that you call us to, uh, to put our trust in you, to obey you, to live with you as our king. And we thank you even more so that because you are king, because you are alive and you rose again, that we need not fear death. The best is yet to be. Uh, we pray this morning that you would encourage us in our resurrection hope. May we live for you as our Lord in every area of our lives. And may we look forward to that day when you will come again or you will call for us to be with you forever. Amen.